Welcome to The Last Detail, a thoroughly considered side quest. In this show, we chat with a distinguished guest about a single object that is meaningful to them. We dive deep into that object, discussing the design, the manufacturing process, the good, the bad, and everything in between. After all, good design is thorough, down to the last detail. Today's guest is Jeff Sheldon, founder of Ugmunk, creator of desk products like Analog and Gather. His object is the Fujifilm X100V. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been fun to, to listen to everyone else's selections. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so let's start there. I, it's where I like to start. Tell us what you selected to talk about today and why you selected that object. So I'm selecting the Fuji X100V, but it was actually really hard to figure out what I wanted to talk about because I feel like this is like a big moment, right? Like you're like you're putting it out there and identifying yourself with this object. Um, no, I, I had a, a couple other things that I had considered, but I settled in on this because it's the most current and most kind of top of mind object that I've really been enjoying. Yeah, it's funny. I I was I saw like photos you were posting. Uh, and I was like, oh, I get why he chose this because he just had a really good experience with it. Probably is, what, is my guess. Yep. Still riding the high. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that. You took a, it looks like you took a vacation and we're using this camera extensively on it. Yeah. So I just got back from Europe. We were in Copenhagen and then a few different parts of Switzerland and I hadn't, we actually, my wife and I hadn't traveled for a while since we had kids, uh-huh. like big international travel. So this was our first big, like, let's go for it, go yeah. all in. Um, and pre kids, you know, photography was something that I was always doing on the side and it, it def- definitely ties into the business aspect of Ugmunk and everything that I do, but, uh, doing it for fun had kind of gotten pushed to the wayside. So I wanted a camera to bring back like my love of doing, of being a photographer, just taking photos, making photos, like doing that, getting in that mindset. And I bought, I picked up this camera earlier this year or late last year before, right as it was getting super popular. Now it's oh. almost impossible to find. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they're going for like literally one to $2,000 over retail yeah. price, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I picked it up and it was like, yeah, we can get into why I picked this camera and all that stuff too. But I picked up this camera and I brought it on our trip and uh, carried that around with us the whole time. And if you were following on Twitter, Instagram, you saw a lot of my Fuji posts. Yeah, mm-hmm. your Fuji posts. Let me, for the listener, if they're not familiar, let me just give a brief description of this camera. So it is a it's a APS-C sensor. So it's kind of in between full frame and micro four thirds. It's a fixed lens prime camera. So th- the lens is not interchangeable. It's stuck to it. It's a 35 millimeter equivalent focal length lens and you'll see a picture of it in the podcast artwork but it's a very uh i don't want to say retro but it's like a camera that looks like if you were to draw an icon of a camera it's (laughs) it's how we kind of think of how cameras look uh and uh and then obviously there's lots of uh, details of it but that's pretty much it's kind of sits in a unique place of like a it's almost like a very high quality point and shoot in a way because it doesn't have the interchangeable lenses or anything like that it's not really competing with dslrs in that way but quality it can go you know toe to toe in a lot of ways but 
it's kind of a unique product category that uh, the Leica Q would maybe be another mm-hmm. camera that fits in this category, but there aren't actually a ton of cameras in, in my estimation that do quite what like this Fuji and, and the Leica do. Well, and it's a rangefinder, right? So you don't look, it's not a, you like have that little window that you look, you can look through. Well, yeah, it's, it's a rangefinder kind of so yeah it, that's and maybe jeff you can speak about that it's like it, my understanding is you can look through the the viewfinder and see like reality <laughs> yeah. like it's clear yeah i can see your camera there <laughs> or you can flip up an evf and you're actually looking at a screen through the through the viewfinder yeah. or you can just obviously use the screen on the back you know like it's an iphone or something like composing photos that way yeah, I mean, it's got a, it's interesting. I could talk a lot about it. I mean, I think it's it's an interesting product because it is not the top on the spec list of megapixels. There's no in-body stabilization. Mm. It's not great in low light. Like, there's a ton of things that it's really not the best at. And it's even like three, I don't know, a couple years old. It's not even brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at just the spec sheet of like, let's compare this to a Sony compared to a Canon, it's like actually worse at almost all of the the <laughs> technical features but that also is like kind of a a larger discussion right like yeah. we get so into like am i on m1 m2 now there's the m3 like mm-hmm. what's going to make me a better designer it's like none of that really in fact like yeah. <laughs> yeah i have a mac mini m1 with like not even a ton of ram that i use to design every day like it's it's almost like the specs don't matter at some point it's how do you use that tool and I think the constraints of this Fuji is what makes you use the tool in a different way than if I had a Sony and a bag full of lenses that I'm never going to pick up and drag around with me because it's too much mm-hmm. of a hassle. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of like interesting things happening when you look at this camera compared to other cameras, image-wise, spec-wise, form factor-wise. It's not the most ergonomic camera or anything. Um, but there are a lot of the pluses that we can get into where it has the film simulations. It has the constraints which breed the creativity. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that, yeah, you're going to get a little blur. You're going to get some noise. It's not going to be great. But that's what I think people are drawn to about the images that it makes. Yeah, well, so what about you? I mean, I definitely, you know, I, my experience, I mean, I have some like tangential experience and, uh, with these sorts of cameras. And then people talking about these types of cameras where they're like constrained, but they have a lot of the images have a lot of character in them. What, like what, like what's the top, like what brings you joy about this thing? Cause it seems like it must like, that's, it seems like that's the reason is it just mm-hmm. like makes you smile kind of like what, what, yeah. what about it? Yeah. It makes, I mean, there's, so yeah, we'll kind of, I can, I wrote out a few notes just so we can hit some of these things. Um, there's the tactileness of it. So it's got real dials on it. So you can mm-hmm. change the aperture, the shutter speed, the ISO with actual dials, um, you can do some stuff on this, the LCD screen too, but it, or the LED screen, but it's, it's more, it feels like a real camera. So when you, if you've ever shot film, you're actually changing the aperture, you're, you're mm-hmm. feeling those things. Um, the rangefinder is really interesting because I, we're so used to holding our phones in front of our faces uh-huh. or cameras out at an arm's length. But when you put a rangefinder up to your eye, uh, I'm actually left eye dominant. So the camera like covers my face, which is a little oh. interesting, um, but you're framing the world through an actual frame. Like you're blacking out everything yeah. around it. Whereas the phone, you're still seeing everything around it or other cameras, you're holding them out. Yeah. Um, so that that's a, it puts me in a different mindset, um, with the rangefinder, and then the, the simplicity. So like the, the film simulations internally in the camera, 
allow me to shoot just straight in JPEG, upload to my phone when it works. That's one of the downsides, uh, <laughs> the bugginess of it. Um, or take the SD card, stick the SD card in a reader into my phone or iPad mm-hmm. computer, and I'm done. Like, I'm not even going into Lightroom. I'm doing no post-processing on this stuff that that I've been posting recently. Um, whereas the other mindset was like, let's shoot in raw, let's tweak, let's get presets, yeah. let's get mm-hmm. film simulations in Lightroom, like spend hours and hours post-processing, and you can get beautiful images that way. But I'm so tired of that. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I do that for work, <laughs> and I do that for everything else. And I think the simplicity of the Fuji where it's like, I know when I'm, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to compose the image. I'm going to shoot. I'm done. Like to me, that's what makes me want to grab the object. And I think that's one of the main reasons why people are drawn to this is that constraint. Um, you can still shoot in raw, but you're not necessarily happy. You don't have to shoot in raw. It like constrained you to being straight up, just a photographer kind of, or something. I think that, 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 that point about it forcing you to like look through a frame and blacking everything out is like really interesting. I think that is to me kind of, that's almost feels like that's really it. Like that encapsulates the whole thing of just like, it actually forces you to think about photography again, like from this very frame thing. And like you take one picture and that's it. And you're not like Mm -hmm. worrying about it. It's not like the start of a 10-step process, it's literally like, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this, I'm going to be present when I take this photo, and then I'm, like, releasing control of it, kind of. Uh, so, I mean, that's really interesting. But, it, like, there must... Is it just the fact that it does all of those things well? And because there's lots of... I mean, there's, like, lots of cameras that have, like, manual dials and lots of cameras that constrain you in those ways. But it must be that it's just those film simulations or whatever are just so good that it, it, it feels like there's a real payoff to that constraint. And is that true? Like, does it feel like the constraints are really working for you rather than it just being a pain? I mean, that must be the case, right? That it's like somehow pulling yeah, it off. I think it's, I think a lot of it, like that, that Venn diagram of it, like has a little bit of each of those things where it's like pleasurable to hold and to use and the rangefinder and then the film simulations, like all of those Venn diagrams the center of that Venn diagram is, you know, joy or like, I want to use the product. (laughs) Um, but if you separate those things, they're not, you know, they can't stand alone. Yeah. And I think if it's similar to, I had the Panasonic Lumix GF one. I don't know if you guys remember way back when, uh, Mm -hmm. Craig mod made that camera super popular by like a post (laughs) and it was way, I'm I'm dating myself now. Um, (laughs) similar idea. It wasn't a fixed lens, but it was a 20 millimeter pancake lens. Um, Mm -hmm. almost, same kind of experience. Yeah. And I had, I bought that camera after seeing his post about like him walking through the Himalayas uh-huh. or something crazy. And, um, <laughs> you get this real filmic quality and look, and this was before iPhone cameras were even decent. Um, and I had that camera and I loved it. And that's kind of what, like this Fuji is replacing that for me mm-hmm. in the sense that it, it's, it has enough of the things that I need, but it doesn't have a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah. Um, because my Canon and my any other camera I've owned, it's like, I'm looking, do I want the new 35L Canon glass? Do I want to get the 24 to 70? Should I upgrade? Like, yeah. this is, you're done. Like, you're not mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. the tool. You're, you're like, how do I use the tool? How do yeah. I zoom with my feet, right? Like, how do I compose things better? And I think it's almost like early Instagram days where we had to use the camera on the phone and you could only pick like the five different filters that were yeah. <laughs> made it look grungy and, and oversaturated. Yeah. It like um, forces there's you. A, there's something that we long for that's that's in that same realm with this camera puts us in that place. Yeah. And I, it's like it, the thing I keep picking up 
from you is like it just forces you to like collapse this process down. It's like it's no longer it's like turnkey kind of. It's like I, I don't want to even have the temptation to have this be a multi-step process. It's like here, this yeah, is yeah. like constrains me to where I just this is it, and then I'm you know deal with yeah, it. Yeah, you yep. could you could argue in the design of a camera if you're ranking like what are the important considerations, what are the features like. How is the image quality? You know, how does this lens work or whatever? How is gathering light? How does it look? All these things. It's like the number one feature is how do I invite the user to press the shutter button? Because a camera is useless if no one is taking pictures with it. Like it performs no function if you're not actually clicking the button to take pictures. And so it's kind of, it's a camera that seems like the most, uh, like kind of holistic realization of like, how can we make something so inviting and so simple in a way and remove all these barriers and kind of like we've talking about narrow the focus to like, you're not having to make a lens choice anymore. We're going to take away the post-production editing process, like just pick this up and start pushing the button. And I think that's a really interesting way to approach a camera versus you know, the camera I have kind of like the Sony interchangeable lens where it's all about kind of flexibility and versatility where it's like, you can do anything with this. You can shoot time lapses. You can shoot long exposures. You can take it as a street camera. Like you do all these things. But with that comes all this baggage every time. I don't like to like bring, I have three lenses, but I only, I don't change them when I'm out shooting. So every single time I go to shoot, there's this little voice in my head that's like, did you bring the right lens? Like, did you make the right choice with the one you put on? Are you like, a sucker? Maybe you should have used that other one. <clears throat> yep. And so to have all of that kind of friction and mental overhead removed and is just about picking the thing up and pushing the button to get images. Like that's a really interesting way to approach a camera design. But so, so do we think here, all being designers here, do you think this was luck or design that got them here? Like, do you think that all this stuff we're talking about was the intention from the outset and they pulled it off or is it a little bit luck and that's not exactly what they were thinking? Where are they going? What do, what do we think? Yeah, it's hard to know. I, I think it's more of the luck scenario because Fuji and, and Sony and Canon and Nikon, they have, you know, hundreds of different cameras yeah. out there. They're always releasing new ones. They're always, it's not like they, Leica's probably a little bit different yeah. where they're really putting a lot into each release. And it's like, you don't see a camera from them coming out all the time. Um, I think they probably had some of the thought behind the simplicity, but this isn't the only Fuji camera that has the film simulations and has some of the same functionality. You can get other Fuji cameras, but it caught on on YouTube and on TikTok and on Instagram in a way that I think uh, like a true viralness of a product got bigger than what the original intention was. And Fuji, I mean, Fuji can't make them fast enough. Yeah. I don't know if it's mm -hmm. like purposeful constraints, mm -hmm. but they're sold out. They literally, everyone keeps texting me like, how did you get that? And I'm yeah. like, I mean, I got it from, <laughs> bought it from somebody directly, but I think if they were planning on this being like the camera to rule all cameras, they probably would have made it a bigger deal when yeah. it launched a couple of, you know, a few years ago. I think it's just, there's a lot of us on the same arc of maybe dabbled in photography, learned the principles, got, you know, these DSLRs came out that were incredible. The technology got better. The light, you know, Lightroom processing got better, raw files. 
And then we kind of like peaked and we're like, yeah. th that was fun and all, but like, I don't have an hour to edit each image or to, to take out my lenses and get my big tripod. Yeah. And there's a lot of us that the iPhone has pushed us back to this kind of like simplicity of how do we just shoot something? I don't want this to be a photo shoot for my family. I just want to have a camera that I can shoot yeah. with my family. Yeah, totally. I also wonder about like literally, you know, I wonder how many of those people we're talking about are literally like us where we all had like young, we've been through a cycle of having young kids and not the other side of it. And I think that, yeah. I think that there's really something in that too. Like it really mm -hmm. makes you, I think it, I know it definitely made me take photos differently and think about it differently. And I wonder how much of that, if like, if I found a survey of like, who is really after this camera? And like, I wonder what high percentage of them like has had young kids and they're out the other side of it. Cause I, you know, it's, it's, there's something about the, um, it's like you, you get good results without being fussy or something. There's something, just something just so practical mm -hmm. about it, but also romantic. I don't know. There's, Something about that. Oh, I was just going to answer your original question of, is this intentional? Oh, yeah. Luck? I think it's, to me, this product feels extremely intentional. But like Jeff was saying, uh, we ha it's sometimes easy to forget that m most technology companies are not like Apple and that they're like very kind of laser focused and selective about the things where it's more of a spaghetti mm -hmm. against the wall type of approach. So like, camera makers or there's all kinds of, you know they're always trying different things and like seeing what sticks so i would estimate that this is this actually is a very intentional design they kind of knew what they were going for they just had no idea if it would hit or not yeah and then it did hit and it's like oh we're you know we're onto something here yeah, yeah, yeah. well but the first version of this line the x100 is like 13 years old i, I looked it up so it's not yeah. like yeah you know mm -hmm. it's not even like this is a new thing you know it's like it's just like yeah i think there was a real, it, it, to me, it makes sense. I think there, it, and it happens all the time. I mean, I'm always, I always like bring up vinyl records as an example, but it's like you were, we're on the, like the, the super highway of like technology and like everything is getting amazing. And like digital cameras were such an awesome, like new thing beyond film cameras and had all these advantages, but there seems to always be at some point kind of a pullback of the market some small portion of the market saying, well, wait a second. What about those things that we lost when we made this transition? Yep. It's so many, it's so much better in all of these ways. And nobody disagrees about that, but is there some way to get back these little intangible romantic things that we lost? And so I think it makes sense for these companies to try to tap into that. Cause it, there appears to be an audience there. Um, it's just maybe hard to predict the size until you actually have a product in yeah. the market. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm just like looking kind of closely at some of these de you know details of this camera, and I'd be curious about you, what you guys. Um, the biggest detail I feel like is this: the thing that makes this thing feel retro to me is this texture on the this like grip texture that's all around it, which is obviously a retro throwback. But what do you guys think about that? Like, it's obviously tr like. It seems like its main job is to be like, hey, look, this is retro. It's like a camera of old. But yeah. I don't know. What do you think? And, and how does it feel, Jeff? Like, a, is it actually useful? Is it just a symbol? Like, this texture that wraps all the way around this thing. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I think the the look of it is definitely that vintage rangefinder camera. 
uh, look that we've seen, you know, if we took out our grandpa's old cameras, yeah. like that's what they looked like. So there was intentionality in the styling for sure. Cause a lot of cameras have gotten further away from that. Like, even if you look at a Canon 5d that's been around for the last 20 years, they, they don't look like old. They look like yeah. this kind of smoothed out shape and it yeah. doesn't have like textures on it and it's different. <laughs> it's like they yeah, do basically. Cars, it's it's kind of like cars. cars. <laughs> and and for all practical purposes, the Canon and the, the Sonys and stuff are probably more ergonomic and easier yeah. to hold. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I even added like a little thumb uh, grip in the hot shoe. Oh, uh, yeah. Here. I love this little that thing. object, by the way. <laughs> I've seen everyone with one of these cameras has one of those and I like love it. I also love the, did you get that like red <laughs> button that screws into the trigger yeah i have like a little gold or a red yeah, button i mean it, it is, is like i think there's we're, we're going down like the territory of mechanical keyboards uh, yeah. where it's like let's just make this thing a little bit more unique chef's kiss um but then you also want to use it yeah. right like it's like when the keyboard feel the keyboard feels good you want to type on it um i think the design and the retro part of it was was a big part of like the popularity of it because it does look like when and people could say you're a poser, but you're carrying this camera around. They think it's a film camera. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like you're shooting film mm-hmm. and the rise and fall and then rise again of film and shooting in film, especially among like hardcore photography enthusiasts, um, that has kind of come and gone and then it comes back and, you know, Kodak is pushing big again with film and the simplicity of film, uh, simplicity, but also complication, complicated yeah. version <laughs> of film. I think yeah. the Fuji feels it's like closest thing you can get to like, Hey, I'm shooting film, but I'm not really shooting film. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, I would not say it's the same process as shooting on actual film yeah. um, and developing yeah. the negatives. And, and there's a whole lot else that goes into that. So, so anyone that's listening that shoots film is going to be like, Oh man, this Fuji is, you know, this is trash. <laughs> this is not like real <laughs> photography. Um, yeah. But I think what it does is it gets close to that in the form factor, the look, how you interact with the camera, the rangefinder. It's like you're shooting film from a, with a camera 50 years ago. Um, but you're using some of the digital technologies to kind of take the we're not taking our negatives into the, the dark room and developing them. Yeah. And I think it strikes the right balance, too, whereas there have been experiments, uh, I know, specifically in like iPhone apps, for example, where it's like, OK, you you like buy a roll of film and it gives you like 24 digital exposures. You take a picture and you can't see it immediately. Like it it takes a day to develop and then you see it again. That's like a fun toy, but obviously that didn't take off as a thing because that was too far into the, the kind of inconvenience of film or the nostalgia. Well, it's a false constraint. It's like a false constraint kind of. Yeah. So that, that's what I was kind of referring to earlier is like, there's, you you kind of throw spaghetti against the wall and see what is what actually are people aching for like what is actually the thing the key thing that they're pining for that got lost with this transition to all these you know fancy mirrorless cameras and stuff and obviously it's not that right it's like not being able to see a picture after you take it or having this time delay like we're we're all good like saying goodbye to that like the immediacy is like here to say and we we appreciate that in digital photography so i think this camera like it's doing a pretty nice job of picking up some of that stuff from before, but being thoroughly modern in terms of like, it's a regular digital camera. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the difference between the iPhone camera and this Fuji camera real quick. Cool. Mm, um, yeah. 
So, and this might, you know, might get me canceled by all the Apple lovers too, but <laughs> I think the iPhone camera, while technologically and the software and the computation it does is unbelievable. It's, it's crazy what it can do in real time and it can blur the portrait mode and it can do all those things. Especially the low light stuff is just wild. Mm-hmm. Like it is unbelievable what you can get out of a small lens or a, a, a the, the form factor of what it is. Yeah. But uh, what I, my experience as a photographer is the iPhone is trying to do 90% of the work of what it thinks I want not what I'm actually trying to get. So you you don't have any ability to really hone that thing in, like trying to adjust exposure and trying to adjust, uh, adjust the sharpness mm-hmm. and saturation. It's almost impossible. It's like you're always fighting it because I think the iPhone is made for the everyday person to take good enough photos. It's not, it's, it's doing so much extra work for you. And you zoom in on the HDR stuff and it's all completely over sharpened and it loses that soul that like the Fuji uh, mm-hmm. colors get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's also part of the reason why people are pushing to this. Like if you have a, 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 uh, hobby in photography or a bent for wanting to get better as a photographer, the iPhone is good because it allows it's on you all the time and you can compose things, but man, putting a camera up to your hand, putting it on manual or up to your eye, putting it on manual mode and actually learning the principles of photography will never be replaced with an iPhone. Like you just don't think the same way or process the same way. And you're, it's not doing all of that extra stuff that you're like, I didn't want the sky to be that blue, but Apple's like, well, we're going to make it a really pleasing image. And you're like, that's not what it's supposed to be. So I, I kind of feel like that's another reason why I found kind of like falling back in love with photography with this camera, even though 90% of what I shoot is on my iPhone. That's what's in my pocket when I'm you know, at my kids' yeah. uh, school events and stuff. Yeah. Well, what would make you, up, like, what would make you, quote, upgrade this or change? Because it's obviously, it's already, so, like, megapixel count must not be super important to you or else you wouldn't have been here. Like, what what do you think about it in, like, you know, if something came out the next, like, tomorrow that had some x feature what would that feature be that would be like oh yeah i'm gonna jump or is this just kind of like you could see yourself using this camera for 10 years and i think as long as i can stay content with what i have which is the the shiny object syndrome but (laughs) if i can stay content with this it should last that long there's nothing about it that i'm like man i just wish it had 40 megapixels not 26 Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. Because none of us are ever using that full resolution and yeah. you know actually need that much. And this glass isn't so, gonna get that anyway. It's, it's like you, it's silly, You're like the sharpness. Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't think there's I don't think there's anything that it's really like. Hey, I, I can't wait for the next upgrade. I, I do want to say one other thing. I think this hits a sweet spot. Is that all of us that appreciate the design and the quality and the hand built uh, details of a Leica that can't afford a Leica or don't want to spend literally like $10,000 on a camera. Well, for 1400 or 1600, or now it's this camera's going up in value, but it was like, okay, I can, I can justify spending $1,600 as opposed to $12,000 for a Leica. And it hits a lot of those same points. Now I do, I, I'm sure Leica build quality is way far further up there. The images that come out of there, you know, there's a Leica quality to them, but the Fuji does kind of hit a sweet spot between like, I have my phone and I, and I would love a Leica someday, but I also don't, you know, I'm not going to carry around a 10,000 piece of jewelry everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that, that is even more opinionated, right? I mean, wouldn't you say that Leica is even more constrained, like a, like, like a, like a Q or something? Yeah, Yeah. they're pretty, yeah, they're definitely comparable. I mean, that was going to be my question is like, that is, that is the kind of upgrade path from this because. I don't think Fuji is ever going to stray from this formula. Like they'll just do new iterations. Like they don't really do full frame. 
they kind of skip over that. And so the like a Q, which which actually is more, it's more like five, four or five thousand, which is still a lot, but the interchangeable, like the M body is where you get into like the ten thousand range. And uh, I mean, speaking of Craig Mod, his like a Q post from several years ago was like, what made that camera hard to get yeah. for a while? I think because everyone was uh, really wanting one of those. So that would that would probably be the that's kind of the upgrade yeah. uh, option. But it is three times as as much money so you have to really want it to go that i've path. never i've never tried one because i don't want to know if i want it yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it, it's doing the same it has the same design language right it's like these things it's like here's the pattern red circle mm-hmm. silver with black mm-hmm. texture or all black and this you know mm-hmm. it's like almost the same language but it kind of is i almost think the cue goes a little too far in terms of uh, being maybe too Apple-y, like, simple or something. Like, it's losing some of that. Mm. The other thing when I'm just, like, looking around at images of this, like, Fuji is a lot of the accessories I see people using are, like, there's a lot of leather involved. There's a mm. lot of, like, mm-hmm. I love the little upgrades that people do, like I said. And there's something, there must be some nice feeling of you're letting off chasing the technological, like, upgrade cycle. And so you're, like, I can actually feel like I can have this camera for 10 years. And so I'm going to get like Mm -hmm. a really nice strap for it that fits really well. And so that, that is, do yeah. What do, what do you have a strap and what's, what's the jam there? Cause I don't know. I think what I have it kitted out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a couple different straps and I try to wrist strap and then I have the, like a braided cord, Uh uh, green neck strap that I was using for a while. Um, I tried the peak design, little Clippy uh, guys. I forget what it's called it's like a new little thing that a little strap that comes off the side that gives you a better grip like you, oh, you, you put clutch? two fingers is that what it's called yeah clutch yeah. so i backed that on kickstarter um i think peak design makes great products mm-hmm. but i got the product and i tried it and i could not my hand just did not work with that grip mm-hmm. like it felt less ergonomic to me the idea of it was great because i could like hold the camera by hanging it off two fingers basically mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. let go of the thumb but I could not get my hand in the positions that I w- wanted to. Um, so I ended up just gifting it to a friend. But mm-hmm. I, I liked the idea of that, like no strap, mm-hmm. but a strap that holds it to my, holds it just to a couple fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a Peak Design um, strap, or actually it's a Clever Design Supply, which is my friend Todd that runs this leather strap company. And he uh, integrates with the Peak Design system. So he had like a little wrist strap with a Peak Design clip on it. So you can take it on and off fast. Hmm. And then other than that, I added a lens hood. Um, I, I felt like it was partially because it, it has the look, but then there's also a lot of benefits. So it's like taking out that sun glare when you're shooting in direct mm-hmm. light, getting those crazy flares. Um, and then it's also like I'm using it instead of a lens cap. So I probably should be using a lens cap with it, but I've been thrown in my bag without a lens cap and that hood kind of protects that glass. Does it have a, enough. can you put filters on the lens? Yeah, just, put a, clear, yeah, just can, put a UV filter on there and don't ever put a cap. Yeah, that's the move yeah, it's because probably, it's, probably it's like a ten dollar uh, filter, safer. and then yeah, that's what I always do, just to protect the glass yeah. itself. And then you yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah, 
because lens caps are annoying because there's nowhere to put it yeah, when, you're, it's horrible. when yeah. you're shooting no dice yeah um, no that's yeah that's i did that for my camera and that I, it's a crucial i mean speaking earlier about kind of removing all the friction it's like not having to put on and take off a lens cap actually makes a really big deal in terms of yeah. feeling like you can grab it and just start shooting immediately well and yep. i think that's a huge huge advantage of these single use cameras where there's no on it's like you literally if something happens you can just pick up your camera and you're there it's none of this like let me fumble you know and all that stuff so i didn't even bring a tripod so i yeah. considered bringing a little travel tripod or gorilla pod uh-huh. like i did when we went to iceland and i shot on a an olympus uh i'm blanking on the model but i had a little gorilla pod and i'd stick it on different things and use it and i i honestly just kind of forgot about even bringing one and that constraint of not even having a tripod was nice mm-hmm. too because it's like I don't have to ever set anything up. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you either shoot or you don't. And it might be blurry because it's at night or you find a little stone wall to set the camera on top of if you want to stabilize it. Um, so it's not the best from a pro photography standpoint to have just a camera on a you know strap and shoot it. But I think that's it's making me want to use it. So that's the whole point yeah. of the product. Yeah. And I think like a like a night shot that's a little bit blurry, it's just, you know, it also there's so much character and narrative in that that it's like, you know, why, why, yep. why like, why not you shoot the iPhone shoot at night? You can shoot with your iPhone yeah. a much better image yeah. and it can computationally take, you know, 50 mm. images and align them and like sharpen them. Then literally any camera that exists like like you can't <laughs> yeah. match that the whole thing that it does the other yeah, the exposure stacking it's just like you can't it's like there's no beating that the other detail that i'm kind of curious about just like a little design detail that i love looking at is uh the not like the the numbers on the top of the main dial like the shutter speed i assume or is that iso i didn't even look is it yeah that's the the shutter speed and then the iso is like in a little window behind there so if you pull up on that ring and you twist the ring you get to adjust the the iso what do you think about that in real life in terms of the kind of like little graphic design of that little kind of like wedge design i don't know it's kind of interesting the like the on like on the four thousand and stuff the like zeros are smaller Mm. i'm just curious about these like little kind of pretty opinionated details honestly yeah i think it's i think it works because of its legibility like it's these are things i haven't really considered till we started talking about them but like it's legible enough um the yeah the alignment on the zeros is different than the four and the two on the super high shutter speeds but going back to like some of the DRAM's principles is it, it's like it communicates it's effective because it's easy to understand like i don't have to think about like Oh, it was like 100, 200, then it went to 4K. Is that 4,000? Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. It literally just yeah. listed it out. And it's, it's like literal. a graph. I mean, it's literally like a yeah. bar graph kind of, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's I cool. think I think there's a lot of similarity uh, between the typography on cameras and on mechanical watches, where it's like lots of little details you got to get right. Lots of figuring out how to design around round surfaces, you know, and there's all these little uh, considerations that when you get it right, it just really sings. And if you really study it, it might seem wrong. Like you're saying, Tom, like, why did this like, why did the zeros get smaller or whatever? But it kind of all works together in a way that's like, oh, this actually feels coherent and makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's funny because it's like you look at the 
<laughs> I'm looking at the top view of this camera. If I look at the right side where it's all the dials and stuff, it's like, oh, this looks elegant. And then you like zoom over to like the Fujifilm logo and it's like curly X and the T. It's like, oh, you guys kind of lost the lost the thread on that one, which I'm sure it's like completely yeah. different departments and completely different whatever. But it's like, it's always interesting to see. It's like someone in this process really knows what they're doing. And then they're inside a company that may not really know what it's doing, which is like, yeah also interesting well the software the software side too so this is we're supposed to be talking about all the things that i love about this but i'll tell you some things that i don't like about it <laughs> yeah um yeah the all of the men the digital menus are just as terrible as every other camera i've ever uh-huh, touched uh-huh. Yeah. like mm-hmm. it's like you know page one of two two of <laughs> one of uh yeah. six then you scroll down you go down one and then it starts over again and you're scrolling like <laughs> infinite scrolling through all the menu options yeah. the typography like all of it is not easy to understand so i think the camera itself is very easy to understand and that's where i've kind of like locked in what i want the film simulation look to be but i don't want to have to touch any of that stuff when i'm shooting because it's not it's like the opposite of user-friendly yeah yeah which is i guess that just must be an artifact of some like i said there's like there's some design department or maybe they like farmed it out that that did a really good job and then there was some places where they couldn't either influence or just you know the like poor design of the company in general like sh- showed through and it's just odd to me whenever a company like manages to pull something off good and they like don't recognize it and it's like how did that even happen and that's why this whole question of like was this an accident or not you know like what did they just happen to hire some designer who you know this was like a quiet project and they just like pulled it off in terms of because the ui like it as an object is just super nice and even the dials seem really nice and and kind of nice i mean there's definitely some weird a little bit of weirdness that you could correct but like i don't know it's just it's it's always puzzling to me when when this kind of thing happens where it's like why all of a sudden is this thing awesome and then everything else is not but. even the weight the materiality the weight the like it's met got a metal body mm-hmm. like the dials have a nice click to them like it feels that's the part where i'm saying it it feels nice to adjust the aperture ring because you're just like you know, feel that clicking it's not just this like digital ring so it's um, stepped that aperture just a little yep. like a chunk a chunk a chunk okay yeah yep yeah and that that all feels great and then you go to the like the the touch screen on the back and, and it's, it's just, just like <laughs> oh you're just like kind of long. so i actually to your point i think if they wanted this camera if they had planned for this camera to be huge and they were like this is going to be the camera that checks all these boxes i think they could have simplified the screen on the back to have very few menu items preset looks and less fiddliness of the back like the actual internals internal settings mm-hmm. and they could have given people something out of the box but instead, there's entire blogs and forums and Reddit threads and recipe sites that are just Fuji recipes. Like, literally, like, what do you put each of your thing? You know, your shadows, your highlights, your film emula- simulation. Um, and there's, like, this whole community around it. And that's where it, that got so big off to the side. That wasn't a Fuji planned uh-huh, thing, uh-huh. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have made it easier to get some of these looks straight out of the camera. Or just like literally like like download the recipe. Like, you know, there's an app on your phone that's just like, here's the recipe uploaded. I mean, that automatically do it. Yeah. Which, you know, it's like, why can't we be designing these objects? It's just, it feels, it's just always so frustrating where it's like, I feel like we could have one meeting and and like improve this thing by 90%. You know, it's like one brainstorming meeting. 
<laughs> yeah, it's such a designer thing uh, to say, but I think it's true. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the simulations, are, they're called recipes, right? Is that the... I don't know if that's the Fuji term, but yeah, the fil- Fuji okay. recipes. If you look online, there's whole recipe sites of just essentially what are you putting each setting at? So how did you land on the ones you decided to use? Were they presets were they presets that you tweaked or did you find someone else's that you really liked online and kind of brought that over or what was your process there yeah i found a couple i mean i went down the wormhole like us nerds <laughs> do and you go down and you research all this stuff and then i tested a few out and then i tweaked a few but i i based it off of uh someone else's settings where i was like i really like the look they're getting out of that and i had to tweak mm-hmm. some of the color shift and the white balance i don't think i have it like finalized but the nicest mm-hmm. thing about where I got it, um, and some of the images might might have been too warm and come out a little bit too warm, is I didn't touch that my whole trip. So like I wasn't mm. like, let's try a new recipe while I'm here, like you know downtown Zurich, and let's let's fuss with these settings. I just shot like I didn't. I was like, eh, they might not be good. I was also shooting raw as a backup, which I'll never touch. But um, yeah. <laughs> you can shoot JPEG and raw. And then I I was just like, I found a look, and then I didn't have to bother with it. So yeah. I think there's more experimentation that I'll probably do when I have time to just kind of mess around with the camera. But the nice thing was you're not doing that. I wasn't doing that on the fly, like kind of dialed in. Uh, if you, if you go on my Instagram or Twitter and I have some of the images posted, you can kind of see like the look I was leaning for this warmer, uh, like it's, I think it was based off of Portra 400, uh, film. Style. Uh, yeah. Mm. Does, does this camera do the thing that I know the Leica Q does where you can shoot in 50 millimeters or 75 millimeters and it's just doing a crop, mm-hmm. but it provides the, the kind of frame line so you can actually frame your shot at that, uh, at that fake focal length. And then what you get back is the JPEG crop to that. Or if you're shooting raw, it still shoots the entire sensor wor- worth, but it's like kind of pre-cropped, but you could recover that. Is, does this camera it do that as well? It does a similar thing. I've never tried to recover the raw mm. cropped like version of the photo or uncropped. Um, I Yeah, that's a good question. But I that was like the one thing. So I set the focus ring instead of manually focusing um, cause I do think technology is usually better at yeah. focusing than yeah. we are <laughs> as far as the ring. For sure. Um, I set that. Uh, I found some YouTube tutorial and it's like, you set that. So if you turn that, you can pop into like 50 and 80 millimeter crops. Oh, you're cool. not really zooming, oh. but if you quickly wanted to crop out a bunch of stuff around the scene, you know, you're in a busy street mm-hmm. and you want to just focus in, um, mm-hmm. you can crop internally in the camera by using that ring. So that's, uh, hmm. kind of takes the place of a zoom in, the, in yeah. that sense. Yeah. And that to me falls completely in line with the film simulation stuff where it's like, I want to do my editing now when I'm shooting. I don't want to have a chore afterwards. So it's like, let me make this cropping decision just right now. And then I'm kind of done with it. Yeah. Which, by the way, I've been doing on an iPhone as of late, which to me feels like so repulsive to like digital zoom it's like oh. but i like do it now because i'm just like i don't care i want to do this now i don't want to go like crop this you know and so yeah, yeah. i wonder again i I, th- I wonder how much of this is just this like practical capitulation of just like i need practicality in my life like a lot of it you know yeah and mm-hmm. uh but then but what what but the trade-off is you also get delight it's like yes you're constrained but there's like then there's room for delight and Mm-hmm. That feels really good. Yeah. yeah. I think it doesn't take the place of an iPhone. I think the iPhone and this Fuji or any other camera can live. They can coexist. 
Um, there's plenty of times where, you know, if I'm out in the snow with my kids and we're sledding, there's no way I'm like putting this camera around my neck, and, but I'm going to have my iPhone there. Cause I know it can get, it's waterproof and I can capture video and all that stuff. The images aren't going to be great. Maybe I make a little family photo book or printout, yeah. but the images that I'm capturing with the Fuji are like, I might actually print these. Like I might actually make yeah. these into art because I feel like they have, I was in a different mindset. There's a different process they are more like film in the sense that I'm not just like, you know, clicking 500 shots all around, uh, as my kids run by, I'm thinking about it. So I, it's two similar things, but very separate mindsets. Mm. Yeah. We can move on to the Dieter Rams section to close the show, but just a little tip or uh, how I think about my camera. So I have an iPhone obviously, and then a, a Sony full frame and I've delineated them in my head where, I basically only take still images with the Sony and I only take video with the iPhone. And the reason for that is I'm almost always disappointed in the stills that come out of an iPhone as compared to a full frame. I mean, obviously, but (laughs) it's, I'm always a little bit regretful. It's like, oh, I wish I had my nice camera for that. Whereas video, when you're trying to capture something like more like a home video and not something cinematic, the iPhone is amazing. Like the 60 frames a second, all the like, hdr stuff it's doing and combining frames and the uh stabilization and all that it's like it's actually a terrific video camera so i've i've kind of kept that whenever i whip up my iphone i'm thinking video first and that has allevi- alleviated a lot of the disappointment of like i'm not too happy with the still image that came out of the yeah. iphone that's literally what i did on my trip <laughs> so <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I, I shot video with my iphone because i didn't try and shoot video with the fuji because there's no stabilization mm-hmm. i didn't have a tripod uh mm-hmm. that's it was like Video, vertical video with my phone, because I'm going to probably post it online or share it to friends, which sounds crazy because, you know, we were all anti-vertical video in the beginning. I know. How dare? How dare? <laughs> but now it's like, you know, you put it on TV and it looks terrible. But, yeah. <laughs> and then I shot all stills with the Fuji. So that's, that's actually exactly how I'm, how I'm thinking about these things. Yeah. Nice. And I would be remiss if I did not share another a, a tip out there for all you parents when we're talking about this. Shooting 30 seconds of video randomly is like, I don't know, two orders of magnitude more important into the future for you than doing stills, as far as I'm concerned. Like, if I could choose Mm -hmm. the crappy, just moment of the day, like 15 seconds of video, or lose all photos I have ever taken of my kids, I would choose the video in like a split second. And I think that gets to the Mm -hmm. same thing of like, when you're trying to capture like memories and feelings of like real life, it's like video, especially little short videos is like awesome. But if you're trying to capture a feeling of a place or a time, this, I think this, like, especially coming out of this camera, these like very nostalgic y things, I, it, 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 yeah, it feels like that's the, that's the bifurcation. Not to go on a tangent, but the thing I'm worried about now is in the very near future when, you know, iPhones can shoot the, spatial video for you know the vr Uh stuff it's like now there's gonna be this new friction where it's like do i do spatial okay do i shoot this as a regular (laughs) video or does i shoot this as a spatial video now it's like i'm gonna have to make a choice every time which in your video it's like no i don't want that yeah that's something that's definitely something (laughs) yeah all right let's move to dieter's corner so this is where the part of the show where we choose which dieter rom's principle we think uh this object best exemplifies so jeff did you want to go first this was a tough one too because it hits a lot of them uh Mm -hmm. i was gonna go with number two makes a product useful um which i copied it down and 
a product is bought to be used, it has to satisfy not only functional, but also psychological and aesthetic criteria. Good design emphasizes the usefulness of a product while disregarding anything that could detract from it. So yeah, I think it makes me want to use it, which is that alone is kind of the the hierarchy of everything else comes comes after that, at least in my mind. I'd be curious what you guys would say. I, I mean, I feel there's no doubt that it's useful. I did not pick that one, but I... Does it? Do you feel just like magnetically drawn to it? Basically, like where you like if you enter a room, do you like look at it and like do you just want to pick it up? I mean, is it that kind of like magnetism that it has as an object? Because yeah, feels I mean, that I way. had a, the aesthetic was definitely up there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it, when you see it, you want to you want to interact with it. I, that was the other one I was tossing up too. Yeah, that, I'll just jump ahead. That was my pick. Same. Yes, well, I was <laughs> I was also waffling between aesthetic and useful, and it is this really is the. I mean, we've harped on it earlier, but it's yeah the the beauty of it and the way it looks and this kind of nostalgic quality it's just beckoning you to come and grab it and pick it up and that is kind of the most uh, cameras want to be used so anything that can happen in the design that's inviting you to come pick it up you know leads to a successful design in my opinion yeah but i mean more than that it's you know we've got to remember like aesthetic is not just it's like your aesthetic right it's about your mm-hmm opinion about how things should look and feel and taste or whatever and so this camera also Mm -hmm. feels like it forces you to make those decisions like it it forces you to be opinionated about something it's like i'm going to set this setting or i'm going to actually have an opinion now in the moment rather than like what we've been used to for the past where it's like we take a dslr we know we can do whatever we'll edit it later we don't have to really form that opinion but this is like nah, like bring your aesthetics like with you to this very moment because you're like making a choice and so i think it's yeah it's like works on both levels where it's like this thing is like a compelling object it makes beautiful things it is beautiful but it also you're like interacting with that part of yourself more it it feels like at least so it's yeah to me I, i picked that three too well, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Jeff. Is there anything you wanted to uh, plug or mention before we sign off? Um, no, but uh, it's just kind of a fun discussion to to talk cameras and not talk necessarily what the, the products and stuff that I'm designing. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's easy to easier to criticize. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it then. Everyone go to ugmonk.com and, and check out what Jeff has to Yeah, offer. and look at his, I mean, the easiest way also is go on Instagram and you can see some photos from his travels. And you can, I was just looking at them again and they do drip aesthetics. You know what I mean? It's like very, it's like, okay. It's a stark difference. You can, I mean, you can immediately tell what I was shooting Fuji and what was iPhone. Like if you scroll back through my feed, but but yeah, if you want to check out my my Instagram or Twitter, you can see some of that and then uh, the rest of my stuff is just ugmonk.com. Awesome. Thanks. Well, thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. You can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 105.